0: Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast. We aim to inspire and educate our listeners through engaging conversations on all things health and fitness, mindset, business, and philosophy. My name is Martin McFillamy and I am your host. and I hope you enjoy today's episode. And we got another special guest on today. We got Lachlan Samuel of the uh, Open Up Group now. I've been uh, following Lach- Lachlan's work now for oh, over a year, and he's been pretty inspirational on in how much impact he's already had on social media, and uh, just the, the gratitude the guy has towards what he's doing. So he's making his life mission to make mental health ma- mainstream, and I was on his show a couple of months back, and you can see that on his open-up podcast on, on YouTube, if you go and follow him on there. But Lachlan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming up.
1: Thanks, man. appreciate having the opportunity.
0: Straight up. Now, look... I really do enjoy um, my first memory of actually what you did. It was uh, I commented on one of your posts when you very first started doing an open-up podcast and you you sent me a, a voice message through my social media and it was just that you were so grateful just the fact that you'd, I'd commented and been on there and it was just a, a, a touching message that you put out. So no, I really respect that and really uh, acknowledge that from the very beginning. So like, I knew that you were already loving what you're doing. But I want to dive in straight away of, of really... How has this all come about? How has Open Up come about?
1: Okay. Uh, So, essentially, man, this might be like a 10-minute long process, uh, a 10-minute long rant.
0: Go for it, man. I'm here to listen.
1: (laughs) So, I come over from Auckland, New Zealand, to Australia. I flew straight to Kalgoorlie, about 19, 20 years old, a very narcissistic uh, cheater. Just a mess, mess of a boy. I wouldn't call myself a man. I was a boy at that time. Yeah. Um, I'd run away from being a cheater, cheating on my partner all the time. And you know, at that time, and why I ran away is because my best friend found out that I was sexting his partner. Essentially. Oh wow. Um, and I'd never had to face any consequences for anything I'd done. I've been able to hide everything wrong I've done, I've been able to hide it up until then, mm-hmm. and this sort of just slapped me in the face, and um, I scared myself so much that I brought a one way to, to Kalgoorlie to run away from it all. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and running away to Kalgoorlie, I had uh, an addiction to ecstasy. Uh, I would say I was an alcoholic, and you know, I just had all, all this underlying trauma that I hadn't addressed, which caused me to be that narcissist. So... Uh, I hadn't worked through anything, uh, never taken responsibility or accountability for anything I'd done, moved over to Kalgoorlie, started making like two grand, two and a half grand a week. Yeah. Um, at 20, 21,
0: 20 years, yeah. 22 years old, that's, that's a lot of money. Hey,
1: Yeah, man. Trust straight into a culture that was all about drinking, all about skimpies, all about, um, sleeping with different people, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when you got a partner at home sleeping with. A chick set camp is like a badge of honor. Yeah. So, wow. Really? Yeah. It's that bad? Yeah. It is, it's, it's very common for FIFO guys and girls to have FIFO partners. Wow. Yeah. Especially, like, even if they're married or have kids, man, it's just so, so common. Really? Fuck.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't expect that.
1: And that's where a lot of the trouble comes from, too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, moving through that, man, I spent about four years in Kalgoorlie, met someone that I fell in love with, we moved to Perth, um, and then in moving to Perth, we had no friends, no family, nothing there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was still doing flow so I was flying in and out of Perth now, uh, but my partner was working in the city, and every time I flew out, for me it was like, going back to the boys, going back to good money, mm-hmm. free food, getting my room cleaned for me, my bed made for me my washing done for me and back to a job where I found that I had purpose and I had a leadership position. So yeah, I just felt good there. Um, but for my partner, it just meant she was alone all the time. And so she started going through her own mental health challenges. I'd say she became like, severely depressed, mm-hmm. wasn't diagnosed, but like the behavior she was exhibiting definitely like, depressed. Um, But just me being narcissistic and having my identity tied to being the FIFO worker, making a lot of money, being able to go to a pub and tell a skimpy that I made a lot of money. Mm. I couldn't let go of um, that identity. And so even though she was going through those challenges, I I didn't stop. In fact, I made it worse. Um, And then we we parted ways and then us parting ways, I went through depression. Uh, My work ethic waned, the way I communicated become really terrible. And I eventually got forced to resign. And after getting forced to resign, I realized that I no longer had any real identity apart from being the gym junkie at the time. Had no friends and family, no support there, no job, no income, no partner. And now up until that point, a partner for me had always been like a vulnerability, I call it a vulnerability servo. Okay. So like anytime you're, you're feeling like shit. Yeah. Um, especially for me feeling enough, has been a real big problem in my life. Okay. And so it just mean, meant that if I had a partner, I could always go back to them when I felt shit and get a top up. Okay. Like you're worthy, you're good enough. That's why I'm with you. Like, cool. Thank you. So I needed that. You're
0: seeking that yeah. validation. All right yeah. To the
1: top and then go out and do whatever the fuck I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so I lost that and, man, really just spiralled out of control. I uh, got back into steroids pretty heavily, uh, drugs pretty heavily, alcohol, and just sleeping around, like trying to get that external validation. That mm. was enough because um, I was so embarrassed about leaving the FIFO industry yeah. like I did. Uh, and then it eventually got to the point where I blew all my money, um, had to start borrowing money from my parents, my parents, aunties, my brother, and then it got to a point where I was like, fuck man, you borrowed so much money it's such a burden, mm. you should probably just kill yourself. <sighs> and so, like, I mulled, mulled that thought over for about two weeks. Oh. Um. And, yeah, finally got to a point where I woke up one morning, was calm, Yeah. Like, fuck, this is weird. Um, but looking back now, I understand, because I'd like decided already, cool, I'm going to hang myself. And so I tried.
0: So, so it was planned and you attempted?
1: Yeah. yeah, And I, I met up with someone a couple of months ago and he asked me, what about the, the marks on your neck? And it sort of stopped me in my tracks so that i never really, I've never really taken time to process, mm. uh, especially to process that moment, especially the shame I carried for the next couple of years and not. Being able to go through with it <laughs> and not being able to finish it. Really? Like, so,
0: so you had a, a shame. Uh, was there any guilt around not being able to finish it towards yourself or or what you would actually done? But was it the shame that you hadn't finished the job that you yeah. expected to do? Yeah,
1: it was just that shame. Like it was. I think I took it on board as validation that mm. I wasn't enough. Because obviously, if you're in that position, putting yourself in that position, mm. you feel
0: like you're not worthy of life itself. So, well, I guess in a way, you're so low, you're feeling so unworthy. The world is, you know, you feel the world's not it's not there for you. It's 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 not uh, it's not right for you to live. The only power you can then have is to take your own life. So the fact that then you didn't actually accomplish that is took you further, deeper.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I, I hid that for about a year. I didn't tell anyone for about a year. I was a hermit crab in my room doing a, uber black. <laughs> doing uber black, man. And um, you know, Finally, one day, I was, I was just writing because I love writing. I like writing poetry and yeah. just writing down my thoughts, and especially if I'm reading a book. I think at the time I was reading Russell Brand Revolution or mm. something. Um, and I just started writing, and my story came out. I was like, fuck. Crying all over the pages, man. Wow. I need to tell someone about this. Yeah. Uh, so I called my partner. I called the mother of my daughter, and called my parents and just said, "Hey, uh, this is what I've written. I'm probably going to put it up. Like, have a read. I didn't mm. have the courage to tell them. <laughs> I yeah, said, read this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much how Open Up started, man. Like, I posted that on social media, and then I started getting. And outcry people
0: who just needed help who were in the same position I was in mm-hmm. um, from like, all over the world, man.
1: Most of them, most of them from Europe.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. So you've got a lot of people from Europe following what you do, listening to what you do, listening to your story. Yeah. That's um, fascinating.
1: That's how that started. I created a closed Facebook group for people to share their stories. Um, it sort of slowly morphed into an, into an idea of doing a podcast. Yeah. And then just before I released the podcast, I built up the courage to go back to the FIFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up at Stone, which is like insane money, like three and a half, four grand a week. Ooh. And you know, again, felt their validation mm-hmm. with the brotherhood, but um, maybe three months into that gig, one of the guys up there took his life, that started the conversation on site among the older guys, like, oh, he's a faggot, he's a pussy, he doesn't deserve to live. And like, oh, I was so embarrassed to be someone who'd attempted... Um, Then I, like, quickly spiralled back into depression. Walked off my job one day straight into my superintendent's office. Cried. I was just like, bro, if I go back to my room, I'm probably going to hang myself. And so he got my room packed up. And um, within a couple hours, I was on a plane home.
0: (laughs) Home with no support.
1: No support. And to be honest, man, I I haven't heard from that company since they me on that plane. Yeah, no, I I'd, I'd always have deep gratitude for him and for them for getting me out of that position. Okay. And they did a really really good job of that. Um but now I see it was just risk mitigation.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Man, that's a powerful powerful. I mean, I'm sat here and I can feel the energy from that. Um yeah, you you're talking about those parts in your life and thank you for for sharing all that information that you have in there. Now do right now with 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 what you're doing and where you're at so you st- when you talk about it do you still feel that emotion inside do you still uh, feel like you're haunted by any of it, any of that at all
1: no nah, man i um i think I, i've done a lot of work on myself like it's been a few years of deep deep work mm-hmm. which has been at times like horrible absolutely horrible to work through but i think when you look back when you reflect um, when you analyze your behavior, your actions and your decisions, and you gain clarity around why you behave that way, it's a lot easier to accept it and acknowledge it um, and then better yourself and yeah. move on. It's, it's when you resist it that you sort of stay stuck in that emotion or that feeling.
0: That's, that's, that's right I mean if you're blocking it off it's just going to con- continue to surface because it's something that wants to surface at the end of the day it's uh, what Jung calls the shadow and it's like if you don't integrate that into your life you're going to continue to it's going to come become your destiny yeah. right if you just suppress anything it comes out sharper but now you've already mentioned that you you know you started to write down just how you're feeling that you got into writing you enjoyed writing uh you enjoyed was it poetry you said enjoy poetry um do you think that was like the first stepping stone to uncovering all that information and being able to pull that, I guess, unconscious uh, knowledge out of your, your mind?
1: Yeah, I think the, the first, the stepping stone for me was definitely meditation. I, I think it was called self-power or something like Deepak Chopra. He's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was reading it while I was still doing FIFO, while I was going through the breakup. I've been practicing it on and off, but I think that's what really helped me cultivate some sort of awareness or um, Yeah, some sort of presence of mind enough to Go, hey, what the hell was that thought that just come in? I shouldn't be thinking that let's try and change it, but obviously like writing Writing for me and especially at the time was a third-person perspective uh, of my thoughts
0: Okay, so you dissociated yourself from that by putting it in third person, looking from an outside perspective.
1: Yeah, I'll, actually, I was just like writing it and when you have the, these thoughts in your head, when they're, um, I guess, compounded by limiting self-beliefs, mm. you tend to take those thoughts and you tend to compound them and compound them and they just stay on this uh, perpetual loop. But I found when I write and I can get it out of my head and I can read it, I have almost a third person perspective like reading it and I'll go fuck what what am I thinking like why is this coming up Mm. like that's pretty fucking dark bro you should you should not be thinking that and that's what writing has been for me it's like that almost third person perspective yeah getting out of my head essentially
0: that's like amazingly powerful in terms that you mentioned you're writing these things you're writing them down as if you're a narrator of someone else's story but it's your story and you're it's allowing you to objectively see what's happening in your life without being i guess tamed by those limiting beliefs in in, in any way
1: yeah and this is um this has come become really powerful for my relationship as well okay because my partner has been with me for the last four years and she's been through some tough times with me mentally like depression suicidality Um, Starting this business, limiting Mm. self-beliefs, aggression, anger, and the way we found that works best is if I write this stuff down like I would for myself, I'll I'll give myself time to read it, and then I'll give her time to read it as well, which is hard for someone who loves love to read something like that, especially when it's dark, especially when you're saying, like, I just want to, like, slice my chest or something, Um, but... I'm, for me, and for people who aren't comfortable verbalizing how they're feeling, mm. uh, this is a really powerful tool, a powerful way to do that with a partner, because then at least they have some insight into what you're thinking and feeling, and they don't have to make assumptions, they don't have to assume that they've done something wrong, or that they're doing something wrong, they know exactly what you're thinking and feeling, and therefore they can act appropriately to try to help you manage whatever it is you're going through.
0: That really kind of scares me of, of how vulnerable that is. You know, we, we, we're meant to be able to have this ultimate vulnerability with our partners. And, you know, I know I've been in a relationship for two years now, but I still know there's, there's, there's potentially stuff inside that I'm concerned if someone found out about me that they're not going to like me, they're, they're going to look at me and go, oh, that person's bad, Is evil, or, or that person, or as a man, like you go back to the stories of weak, you know, he doesn't, doesn't deserve to live, like the, the stuff that's trapped inside that you can't share or don't feel like you can share, to be able to do that with your, your partners, the ultimate vulnerability, isn't it?
1: Yes, um, and I think that builds that bond and that trust and Now I'm at a point where I can verbalize what I think and feel to her. But for a partner to be able to hold that sort of space for you, um, they have to be incredibly resilient. And so I think I approached it the wrong way when I first did it. It was sort of like, I'm this vulnerable guy. I'm putting myself out there. Mm. Here, read it. Read it and accept it. That was my expectation. Yep. But you can't have the expectation of your partner because they can only handle what they're equipped to handle Mm. and so it was just lucky that i've got tools to help her manage the stress that she goes through and trying to help me okay okay (laughs) um but yes like being vulnerable to that extent is has built our relationship built the trust and now she feels comfortable verbalizing how she feels as well when she like has never done that in her life
0: so there's two things that I wanted to just quickly yep. dig into in there. Number one, when you first were writing those things down, you and you were sharing it, you know, you said that you you gave it and you expected this acceptance. Was there any fear that she would walk away?
1: No, because honestly at the time it was probably there's probably a hint of self sabotage. Okay. And it's been something we've had to work through a lot. I've had to work through a lot mm-hmm. of commitment issues. Uh, not being worthy, and the way that I view or perceive how a relationship is supposed to be. I viewed a relationship uh, as having to be chaotic or me having to be a pig of a man because of the relationship I had through high school. Mm. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I'd say it was like a little bit of self-sabotage. Okay. Oh, if she doesn't accept it, then I'm just going to fuck off.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it, it would was- we, going back to that probably that more narcissistic view of this is about me in fact probably not too concerned about her I'm going to get this down regardless it doesn't matter either you accept it or you don't this is me which is in a way mm. is probably t- the way you approached it the, ex- the expectation was probably wasn't right but the actual action that you did was probably the right thing to do
1: yeah I mean it was I wouldn't say it was on a deep level of narcissism because she was uh it was the pressure to tell her what, what I was thinking and feeling, mm. so she was asking for that. Okay, but just at the level and the depth that okay. I told her, um, I'd say there was narcissism
0: there, and say, yeah. and a little bit of self sabotage. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, look. It's the the first step. Like regardless of how you took it, yep. that first step is is getting over that moment of inertia of having to be able to do something different to be able to open up and be able to tell someone the, who the, that true self, you know, the shadow self inside, if someone's looking to do that and you said earlier on you had some tools that you can use to to help that, and I'm guessing this is around communication whatever, right? but can you just give some tools for anyone out there who's who's looking to really open up themselves, what you use and what for they the, could use? For the person writing it? For the, the person writing it and for the person who potentially would receive it, um, the way you've been able to manage that without it blowing up or escalating or or, or wherever it has.
1: I think a lot of that, like I had that expectation, yes, that you should accept this and you should process it well. But I think you have to have a level of compassion for someone when they read something, especially as dark as what what I was writing at the time. Um, She didn't take it well. Like she cried and you've got to understand that If you're writing something that's hurtful, but especially along the lines of, I don't want to be here anymore, Mm -hmm. and you've got a partner that loves you and cares about you, they're going to think, why am I not enough, or Mm -hmm. something along those lines. So just having a little bit of compassion and being able to shift that perspective to, okay, you're hurting now because of what I've been writing. Um, And really, I guess, if you're implementing some sort of mindfulness practice to shift from... Like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting upset with me? Why are you getting upset with that? You're supposed to be supporting me too. Oh, oh holy shit. Like, I need to make sure that I, I guess, exhibit some sort of empathy so that they can process that as well. Because mm. it's, it's not just about you, man. Make no, no. Matter. And in terms of tools, obviously, being able to read that yourself first. If you were just writing that and giving giving that to your partner... And you didn't get that third-person perspective first. Dad read that and freak out, and you mm. have no idea why, because it's still in your head. At, at least if you read it first, you're like, "Oh, holy shit! Why am I, why am I thinking that? I didn't know it was that bad." Yeah. So then, then at least you have some sort of clarity around what you're saying. So
0: is that's is it's that, is that self acceptance before you sharing? Is that what you're getting at?
1: Yeah, it's um. Just giving your time uh, giving yourself time to process what you're thinking and feeling mm. yeah mm. you're getting some sort of clarity because like i said like it's it's perpetual when it's yeah. in your head
0: um too chaotic yeah too, it is. too chaotic to to really, if they got that much in your mind, that much going on, that much that you're concerned about, you've got this story that's in in your head that is probably just an abstract of many different things that have been going on in your life, many things that are going on at the time in your life. To get that down into some sort of structure so you can narrate it into a story is what's really helped.
1: Yes. um, And in terms of...
0: There we go. <laughs> the joys of podcasting. <laughs> uh,
1: in, in terms of our relationship and um, being able to get to that point where you can share that with your partner, I think you have to you have to be confident that the communication will hold up through that, because that's a pretty dark process to go through. Mm. And if you can't communicate effectively, being open and honest with each other, then that's not going to work, because mm. they're going to harbour. Shit, you're gonna harvest it and it's gonna to become toxic, it's gonna yeah. to become destructive, and you're gonna base everything off of your own limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. essentially. Um what's been really really powerful for us is sitting down and having open conversations about minor things. Okay. Like um even about my daughter and what we're doing, how we're feeling about my daughter. Uh, we'll do that sort of stuff man and that's that's just opening the channels um, creating that connection and that trust and that's where it's going like, to either work or fall apart yeah. uh, she both her and myself uh, we practice meditation so if we're getting a little bit overwhelmed we'll go through that uh, we'll practice breath work as well one of the things we utilize and we taught our, our daughter to utilize as well was the 7-11 breathing technique so 7 seconds in no hold, 11 seconds out, no hold, and just repeat three mm. times. And that's uh, what first responders, paramedics use when they yeah. turn up to something horrific. And that's just, like as you will know, pulling you from fight or flight to rest and digest like fairly, fairly quickly. Um, and then at least if you're pulling away from fight or flight, you're not looking at it from a scanning for threats mm. perspective. You're looking at it from like a solution mm. perspective. And that's really helpful in those situations. And that's probably the tool
2: that we utilize most yeah it yeah. took a while to get to there
1: yeah, yeah. Like in terms of
0: this conversation and getting to that talk but we got there <laughs> no 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 look that's uh it took a while to get there it is a great thing to say because it, what i had as a question was like there's a transition of being this person who is very egoic uh, you know looking for vali- or seeks validation through means of uh, you've said steroids drugs uh i guess very masculine energy in in the fifo work where you, and i can guess at that point in a relationship it, you you probably would have been more stressed and gone from a point of attacking right, in, in few through communication rather than listening to respond to what they're saying what was there's there's a lot of learning there's a lot of you must have learned a lot through a period where you've actually looked back at yourself and gone, okay, I need to change how I communicate with the world and how I communicate with your partner. Was there any process that you, had, you went through to, to learn that information?
1: I think what's been really helpful for me is I, I convinced myself because it, I convinced myself that I was an obsessive learner or that I was really good at learning. And that's almost become my identity in, in regards to, like, education and taking mm. on challenges. It's like I pride myself on, um, no matter who I'm sitting with, I can ask you questions and I can get information out of you so I can learn. Mm. And if you're seeing me as this learner, you're going to feel more compelled to help me. Mm. Um, and taking on or convincing myself that that was my identity has helped a lot, man. Because if you're shut off, uh, like, I was, I was the guy who... If you were telling, trying to tell me something, no matter how experienced you were, mm. and I thought I knew a portion of that, I'd be like, "Fuck off!" Like I don't even know this. I already know this. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're telling me I'm dumb. You're telling me, you know, and that goes back to childhood and being yeah. a brown kid and being rejected from private school, private schools for being moldy. but that was that was how I approached learning. And mm. when I shifted that mindset to being the bunny quote obsessive learner, yeah. Um, I found myself falling into positions where I could learn of people who've had the experience especially within relationships and obviously doing the podcast and stuff like that. I've met people, interviewed like over 100 people now and in talking to people, especially when you're talking about the relationships and why they fell apart or why they worked, you you start to get a clear understanding of what works and what doesn't and it's just about um, implementing, testing and iterating until you find what works for you and your partner Because you know there's no like three-step process for yeah. every relationship yeah
0: <laughs> it's not like yeah you right know, you read a book and go oh, that's the same it's the same steps for every single individual it looks like you've actually you've sat there you've gone within you've given some time to yourself to go how can i approach this the best way and then you've just took action and it's just been trial and error from there
1: it has man and it's um at first i will say at first uh, i had to text my partner how i was feeling and that wasn't to the extent of i want to kill myself that Mm. was to the extent of i'm really angry i need to go for a five minute walk Mm. and at the time i was such an aggressive angry person that it was it wasn't i was Mm. going for a walk it was i hate myself so much i'm so angry i'm such a failure I'll go into the elevator and smack my head against the elevator or like punch my face or something Mm. and then come back to the house. But I use text message to communicate at least a little bit so she understood it wasn't her that was causing anything um, destructive or toxic within me Mm. or that behavior from me. Um, And that's that's super important for, for a relationship, especially when you're going through mental health challenges. Yeah, Is letting someone know that they're not the problem because mm. if they feel like they're the problem, they're going to be constantly trying to fix you. And when you're going through that, that's the last thing you want is someone trying to fix you because you already think you're fucked. Yeah. And for someone to be expressing that you are, yeah. that's just going to compound it man, and going to make you shut off.
0: Yeah. And we we do get, um, you know, it's like we're getting taken over or possessed by something when we're uh, projecting the anger onto someone. Uh, when it's not them it's the situation and it comes from that limiting belief or that belief that is deep down inside within the, the psyche that we're not aware of you said you've done some deep work of healing and some deep work of looking at yourself have you looked back at early in your life at early trauma and gone it's derived from that there and if you have are you willing to share
1: yeah um, so going back to childhood man I how this all started was i went back to new zealand i was doing the podcast and probably like 20 episodes in um speaking about mental health and sharing my story and i went home and spent a week or two with my dad and every time he spoke i was just thinking man would you just shut the fuck up like i just mm-hmm. want to cut you really? uh, yeah every time you speak i just want to punch you and i couldn't understand it because he was always my hero mm. Started the homicide squad back home. Um, And, like, honestly, as a kid, I had fucking ridiculous anxiety about him not coming home from work. Yeah, okay. I just absolutely adored the man. And for me to think that, I I was just like, what the hell? What the hell is going on? Why do I feel like this? And I remember saying to him at the airport, which, like, looking back now, this is so harsh. I was sitting at the airport with him, and I just remember saying to him to his face, man, if I never see you again, I feel right now like I wouldn't care. And he took that like a fucking champ, like straight up. He, really? He just took it and he said, no, that's all right, son. Like, I still love you.
0: Whew.
1: Yeah. And I just got on the plane and went home and I just couldn't understand. And it took a couple of weeks of why, why, why? Yeah. Just constantly asking that. And it finally got to the point where I was like, "Holy shit! I've because of what happened to me as a kid, I thought my dad wouldn't love me because of that," and so I went to see counsel and opened up and um, ended up uncovering like trauma that I'd bury, which is essentially from eight to ten. I got introduced to uh, sex at about eight by a guy, so pretty much pulled my pants down, played with me, like, put porn on, played with me, and then had sex with me from about 8 to 10 years old. Fuck. And the last time that happened, (laughs) the last time that happened, man, uh, I remember it was in like this tin shower, it was fucking hot, um, and they said, look, man, we've got to stop or people are going to think we're gay. And so from that, from that moment on, from 10 years old on, sometimes when i close my eyes, I'd see his dick. Sometimes when i close my eyes, I'd see him mm. sucking me. And if you're a dude and you're seeing that, you can't help but think, fuck, am I gay? And mm. especially with him saying that. And so I held on to this belief that maybe dad wouldn't love me because I might be gay. Because wow. of what happened. Yeah. And that was a, massive realization for me counseling really really so, <laughs> <laughs> like if you think third-person perspective from writing down on paper is good try
0: counseling <laughs> and someone's digging deeper into these conversations and asking yeah. these questions and that's that's really um, no i'm glad that you throughout that i was gripped by that talk and i was like Okay, where do we go from here so i'm glad that you you brought that up about the counseling that people can understand that you can have these things happen to you and you can go and talk to people and you can figure it out
1: yeah and it's important with counseling and with psychology that you find someone you trust um, and respect if you if you don't feel like you're vibing or getting on with your health professional just move on to the next one yeah you know it's not like you choose one if If they don't work, you're fucked because they're all the same. No, they just don't work for you. They probably just don't understand your life circumstances. Yeah. I was lucky that the counselor that I went to had been kidnapped and um, sexually abused. Yeah, okay. You know, by men. Yeah. So she understood where I was coming from. And from that, like, obviously growing up, having that thought, shit, am I gay? Um, Throughout that, two years, from eight to ten years old, he'd constantly say, fuck, like, your dick's small. And so I had that that belief that my mm. dick was small. I had porn addiction since I was eight. And like up until maybe a year ago, I probably never went more than two days without watching porn. Okay. <laughs> and driven yeah. off. Like, yeah. You know, that was just my norm. And obviously with porn, you have that warped sense of relationship and what sex is supposed to be and how big your dick is supposed to be. So mm. I went through most of my... Teenage years, thinking, "Holy fuck, am I gay? Okay. My dick's too small. This is what a woman's supposed to be, and this is how a relationship's supposed to be." And so, that's that gives me some sort of clarity around why I was an narcissistic cheater mm. uh, through my teenage years, and then why I treated my next partner so poorly, and why uh, well, you know my partners at the time weren't enough. It's because I was looking for the porn star looking to prove that I wasn't gay, looking to prove that my small dick was enough. Mm. And, um, when you look back at it like that, it became a lot easier for me to forgive myself for um, the way that I treated those women. Although it wasn't, it's never okay no. to do that. Um, it was easier for me to forgive myself because I harbored the guilt and that guilt is ultimately um, what made me feel like I wasn't enough, that I was a pig that I should kill myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's you know, self-empathy, looking at yourself. Um, again, going back to that, looking at it objectively as you look at your younger self as a you are now. You said to me you, that back then you were a boy. So that's claiming now that you, 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 you're a man. Being able to look at them from the man, looking at the boy, looking at that person with empathy and go, you had a distorted vision of life, a distorted reality because of X, Y, and Z. Now you're the other side of that and looking back at that, and now you're a man. How does that feel and how would you describe the difference between those two individuals?
1: I would say the boy version was just lost, just lost and felt like he wasn't enough and lived his life based on external validation. Not knowing that if he just took time to accept himself, he'd feel enough. Mm. <laughs> Whereas now, I know that my work is on accepting myself and acknowledging my effort, acknowledging my achievements and, yeah, giving myself some fucking love, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and how does that make you feel, having that power to be able to actually do that now?
1: I'm not going to lie, that's a bit of being a fucking process too. I, yeah, I went to a workshop last year in Brisbane. Um, mm. Bridge, the Bridge Experience, and Extreme Leadership by Preston, Smiles and Alexi Where We actually got to face the fear of having a small dick. So okay, yeah. So what did um, you do, Right, Someone told me beforehand that it's a possibility I'd have to get naked. Yeah. And so I had three weeks before that workshop. Mm-hmm. It was our two back to back weekends. I had three weeks of. Debilitating, almost catatonic anxiety.
0: Really around getting
1: naked. (sighs) Yes. That's how much of a trauma it was. Yeah, and um, and like in doing the workshop, I realised it's because I buried trauma around uh, while I was in primary school. Guys used to break into the toilets when I was going to the toilet, and they'd laugh at my dick, or they'd jump over the stalls and laugh, or they'd like push me into the urinals, just just shit like that. Yeah. Um. So I really, really, really harboured that, and. I was catatonic leading into it. The first weekend, I turned up as like a shell of myself because I was so scared that I was going to have to get naked. Mm. And that, and during that workshop, they do this exercise where people in your team have to give you honest feedback on their impression of you. And everyone come back with scared little boy <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just shit like that. Yeah. And, and it says, and they ask you as well, it's like, uh, do you trust this person? And a few of them said no, and I was like, fuck, I don't feel like I'm that person. Why am I showing up like that? And it's because I had that anxiety. And so the next weekend, first day, first morning, I was like, man, my biggest fear is getting naked and people seeing my dick. Like, mm. can I just do it? And they're like, yeah, come up, come up the front, like 80 people in this room. Yeah. Come up the front, put me on a chair, I can took my shirt off, put my pants down. And stood there, and they made me stand there for like five, ten minutes, eyeballing everyone in that room.
0: And I'm <laughs> sorry to make a joke here, but that's enough to make it go small right? Because <laughs> you're going to be full of nerves. <laughs> it's just going to tuck right in. So,
1: brother, if, yeah, if it went smaller, it'd go up inside my <laughs> <like this.
0: laughs> But like, you just faced it straight on.
1: Yeah, and like that's. I think that's what the podcast and what I do with the content has been so powerful and profound for me. It's given me permission to be vulnerable. Like I've almost built my identity around being radically vulnerable yeah, um, and taking radical acceptance or uh, responsibility of, of everything that I do. And so in doing that, that was just adding, um, another badge, you know, mm. That's the only way I can explain it. And, and straight after that, to be honest, bro, yep. straight after that, um, guys were coming up to me saying, fuck, bro, me too. Yeah, okay. And then the next day, we all got naked. Yeah, okay. And I realized I was just
0: fucking normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> look around and go, oh, fuck yeah, I'm certain, so, sweet. I'm fine. Yeah, why, why doesn't anyone look like a in porn? <laughs> oh, man. So, like, that's to get up and do that and to but you know you needed to do it right so it was something that you were holding on to yeah, it was my
1: biggest fear
0: bro. it was your biggest fear i mean i went to i've had a couple of training sessions where it's been bringing up you know surfacing the unconscious and the, the deepest fears but nothing is as, as, as big as getting up on stage and just getting your bits out in front of everybody um but i've seen so many people shy away and just leave these sort of sessions even when the smallest things come up so i've got to acknowledge you for getting up and just completely nailing that that fear straight away and i think anyone out there needs to take something from this day if they've got a small fear the best way to get over it is just straight on face up with it, <laughs> up with yeah. it. yeah and i mean while i was up
1: there naked they had this real cool way of helping you through it like helping you adjust. And like, obviously you have these patterns ingrained into your nervous system and your body will just respond in a certain way when it stands for a threat. And so me getting up there, it was like immediately pull out the showman, pull out being outgoing and they're like, no, 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 Mm. like it's, this isn't a show. This is you working through it and like resetting or repatterning your nervous system response, your biological response. And so, like, that was really, really cool to be held through that process, to walk through it, and then to be up there, not being shown and not being outgoing, wearing a mask, yeah. and just feeling like, oh, holy fuck, this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, no one's judging me, no one's laughing at me, I don't feel like I want to melt into a ball of goo, Yeah, it's all good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, look at you! You're up there. You're you know, you're giving talks on this. You're doing regular podcasts. You've got some incredible guests that've been on your show. You know, some of the some of the Perth's best out there. Essentially, you've got how many episodes? 100 and some episodes?
1: Yeah, I really, I really fucked myself with that one because I only number the interviews. Yeah. And so it's like 190 episodes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm the same. So with this, it's usually it's me, then a guest, me, then a guest. So it's like every episode, I've got to remember which episode it is yep. in my head. But now you're giving talks on this sort of shit. And now you're getting to speak to men who are potentially in a similar situation. You've you you're actually gone back into that industry that was lacking empathy. And you're, you're trying to make a shift there, aren't you? Yeah. You want to tell me a bit of the vision of uh, Open Up and, and where that's going?
1: Yeah, so... Open Up has, at the moment, two arms. It's got the media, which is obviously like the podcast and stuff. I see myself making mental health mainstream. I heard a quote by Les Brown this morning say, uh, on some Tom Bilyeu's podcast, um, Impact Theory, he said, live a life that outlives you. Mm. And that's what I want to do with Open Up, and especially the media arm, is find talent, Um, and help them produce, curate, and share content. And the idea behind that is to become such a force within media that I can um, essentially become the mainstream media and control the narrative around mental health and and the stigma by posting so much content that no one can go even a few hours without seeing a story of overcoming struggle. I mean, holy shit, Like, if they can do it, I can do it. That's how I feel we are going to... I guess have a world where people no longer need to wear masks because they, they're going to know that they're not alone. Whatever whatever it is they're thinking or feeling, and therefore they won't respond um, with that mask. Through I guess being defensive and defending whatever identity that they have to have because they're unwilling to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So we've got that arm with the media, um, and then we've got the education, mental health education, and we're primarily focused on FIFO at the moment, fly in fly out, uh, the mining industry, they're at double the risk of suffering from mental health as the general population. So it's, it's pretty bad. And like from my story before that toxic culture is, yeah. is there because it's male dominated, it's blokey. Yeah. Um, people take pride in breaking you down to a point where you get angry. And
0: yeah, it's, it's about it's about feeling power.
1: It is, bro, it is. And with that, we're going in, I'm literally sharing that story, being raw. Yeah. Um, and then we give them tips, tools, and tactics to help them, I guess, bring some sort of awareness to their behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then work through, work through that behavior.
0: And the response that you're getting, is it what you expected?
1: The response is really, really good from the guys on the ground. Okay. We're... We presented to Woodside last year, um, probably presented to about a thousand people last December, and we turn up on site, and especially the sites where they've had suicides, and the guys will be pretty open about, you're just here to make the company look good. And as soon as we tell our story, they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, fuck, okay. you're not just here to do that. Yeah, You've okay. gone through something, you want to yeah. help us, cool, we're in.
0: Okay. Um, so it is again. Um, to begin with, the company is going. We're just filling a criteria here, but then you've actually gone in. You've shared. You've you've done the the workshops. You've you've picked up. I guess within those workshops, people have probably been a bit more vulnerable than you you expected, yep. and that's created this complete shift within those within the the, the managers and the power the yeah, power to be. I mean,
1: the the management. Yes, but. Uh, At the moment, the issue for us is getting to the executives and the people who signed it off. Okay. Because, um, not to name names, but a GM recently said to uh, a friend of mine who's like a direct competitor, we have no desire for that now. And that was after months of negotiation, Mm. um, trying to get this mental health program into their company. Yeah. They've got tens of thousands of people working for them. and so it's just that that disparity. And yeah. so we're just learning um, learning about the message and how we we pitch that, how we sell that, and how we get that to people. Because obviously, yeah. the people on the ground, the health and safety, the guys doing the work, guys and girls doing the work, they're all about mental health. We want to help our brothers and sisters so they don't kill themselves, essentially. Mm-hmm. But at the top, it's still very much about the bottom line and making sure that they are minimizing absenteeism um, and getting productivity. So we're just in this dance at the moment where we're trying to mesh the two. Okay. Because obviously if we can't get the buy-in from executives, and we have from a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, but That's if great. If we can't get the buy-in from executives across the board in the mining industry, then it's not going to work because yeah. we might have anyone to sign off on these programs being implemented.
0: And what, and what do you think that they see? Obviously, there's a block for them there obviously, and you can only tell the story of what you think they're thinking. Yeah. you don't know what they're thinking until you've had the conversation. But what do you think that's the that main block is?
1: Uh, I've, done, I've done quite a bit of research in the last couple of weeks, which probably helps this conversation. I yeah. uh, read through the mining reports, the corporate wellness services reports, oil, oil and gas extraction reports. And one thing that is consistent across all of them is that mental health is a non-essential um, expense. Okay. So, like, obviously, being an executive and signing off on an expense, you yeah. have to, I guess, prove that it's an essential expense. Um, and luckily, we're coming into a mining boom cycle again. Okay. And so, companies will have more capital, more capital expenditure. Mm-hmm. So, they'll have more to spend on these sort of non essential expenses. Mm hmm. Um, But to help that shift, I think we need to have some sort of regulations on mental health Mm. in the mining industry, because at the moment there's only like a code and that's just set guidelines. You should be doing this. There's nothing to enforce anything.
0: Okay, so they're coming from a perspective of we've come out of this or we're coming out of this uh, recession, they're looking at it and going, okay, we still need to be safe and secure. It's not an essential in terms of on their paperwork, mental health isn't essential. So really when it does pick up they need to change that frame completely.
1: Yeah. And I think it's if I was in that position, knowing what happens with workers compensation and physical injuries, mental health is a different beast, man. Like when you're an employer and someone hurts themselves, like that could ruin your business, mm. like physically. At least you can have someone, a specialist, look at the injury and say, Okay, If you do this sort of rehab, if you take care of yourself this way, you should be able to to be back at work in X amount of time. With mental health, like anyone can, I guess manipulate the process so they're exhibiting behaviour to have a diagnosis and stay on workers' comp. Yeah, and I'm not saying people are doing that, but there's potential for that. Yeah, of course. You know, I know people who have had physical injuries gone on workers' comp. Like hurt themselves intentionally to go on workers' comp. Okay, or, really? Or go yeah. on workers' comp, hurt themselves again to stay on. Yeah. You know, and that's, like, that's known in the industry. And so mental health is just taking it that step further and I can understand why like, the companies are hesitant
0: mm. to but bring in regulations. I look at that as still those individuals have probably got mental health issues themselves because yeah. they're still searching for that validation from doing that. It's like, they, it's, I'm, I, I'm going to be more powerful than you, company. I need to be more powerful than you, company. I'm going to fake this or I'm going to claim this just to, to, to feel good about myself. So for me, that comes from a perspective of this person needs support.
1: Yeah, and I think it's trying to find an easy way to make an income. Because obviously if you're working on site, you work in any job that's physical. You mm. can hurt yourself. Man, sitting at home, getting the same sort of money is a lot easier than yeah, yeah. being out in overalls and 40 degree heat. yeah
0: So people... Away from your family. Yeah. So people to spend just time take away, advantage yeah. of that opportunity. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, When I first moved to Australia, I was such a naive boy. Uh, honestly, I, you, know, you come from your fam- family and friends where there's... 10 or 15 people that you're really close to. You spend most of your time with them. And then I moved to the other side of the world and realized there were people out there that were like that. That As that naive individual, I was just like, and I never knew. Now I am. I'm much more, I guess, selective with the individuals that I'm, I'm, I'm approaching, I'm talking to. And in, in, in a way, it's kind of, uh, I guess, damaged me a little bit in terms of I used to be so open and free to go and talk to anybody. Yeah. And that closed me off a little bit. Now I'm a bit more confident with myself, so I'm opening up again, and I'm, I'm okay. But I guess I'm waffling there a little bit, but I just wanted to say that there is there are people out there that who do take advantage and yeah. will take advantage.
1: Yeah, and I think that comes back to, especially on like a one-to-one level, I think mm. that comes back to self-worth and mm. making sure that you're valuing yourself enough to identify people who aren't. <laughs> and yeah. yeah you're at that same level. Yeah. Know? Um yeah, when you have low self worth it's easy for you to let people take advantage
0: of you. Yeah. Because you don't feel like you're worth anything. Yeah. So for anyone out there who's obviously struggling with stuff suffering with mental health issues, um you you do quite a few Q and A's and things like that to to support online which are pretty much yeah. for free, aren't they? Like you don't you end yeah. up charging. So how did it how do they contact with you, those sort of things?
1: all uh, that stuff is that's pretty slow at the moment, something I need to bring back. But in terms of just getting in contact with me, you can just find me on LinkedIn or Facebook, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, please, if you're a, if you're in business. Yeah, yeah <laughs> if of course. Yeah. Um, but just feel free to DM me, Lachlan Samuel on like, most of the platforms Yeah, yeah. or open up. Um, open up group on the different platforms and just message me and i always message back yeah um but just be prepared
0: for voice messages yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not. that i'm not closing the show yet i just wanted to make sure that people are aware that you do oh, do okay, that sorry. sort of stuff so <laughs> we're still continuing you've got the uh you now like i can say I've, I've admired some of the stuff that you've been doing uh, looking at and you you have some big aspirations and what I, what I loved about you when we sat down and had a conversation together you know you, you will be working with the all blacks team you will be doing this the confidence that you come at with with what you're doing um I want, I want to talk about the the uh, the 10, 000, is it ten thousand men was it fifty thousand yeah. that's it fifty thousand men um what is it that you're, you're, you're planning to do with that
1: so my goal and this is going back to making mental health mainstream and having the different um, the different things that we do align with that, even in the FIFO space, like obviously getting PR, press, and impacting different men on different sites, that all leads into making mental health mainstream and helping the collective, uh, essentially uh, prolonging the existence of our species through people making better decisions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Better decisions for the collective. Um, with with the stadium man, I, I had this thought that, well I've had this visualization that I do, I do it every day where I see myself standing in a stadium, speaking to like a, a sold out stadium, mm-hmm. um, I'd always visualize it at Optus and then, um, something happened. I think maybe UFC 245 was, I think it was 245, Israel had a son Robert Whitaker. i was like, fuck, Israel's from my hometown. If he can fill Marvel Stadium, I can fill Marvel Stadium, and so that's where that come about. And you know, I just started putting it out there, posted it on LinkedIn, made a video. It's like, hey, I have this idea. I want to fill the stadium with men, um, and change the lives of fifty thousand men, so that they are better versions of themselves for their kids, family, colleagues, and everyone they come into contact with. Like right. that would be cool. Put that up, man, and they're just that just gained traction really, really fast on LinkedIn. I had had like CEOs and GMs and executives reaching out about it saying that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Then I put a post up saying, uh, anyone, is there anyone who can connect me to someone at Marvel Stadium? Got connected to the coordinator of Marvel, the CEO of Marvel Stadium, um, and the CEO of the AFL, like fucking, within a couple of hours. Really? (laughs) Got connected to the man. Yeah. And the CEO was like, "Yep, that sounds good as long as it works in with Movember. Um, we're happy to do that. Okay. Uh, And then, yeah, it sort of just just snowballed from there. Mm. Um, But then the bushfires happened, and so asking for money wasn't wasn't the right timing. But that's that's the end goal, having people fill Marvel stadium, and now we're working on a plan where we have someone like a Brene Brown come over, do five cities, fill uh, five theatres in five different cities, with two to 5,000 people, mm-hmm. um, build up a list, use Brene Brown as the headline act, um, come to RAC Arena at the end of that. It's, I think, 10,000 to 15,000 people. Fill that and then head to Marvel Stadium. So, um, initially, what I thought was Marvel just straight up, but it's going to be a process working into that. But it's It's got traction. It's got big companies, like mining companies, who are willing to be a part of that process and fund that. So, um, honestly, man, I'm looking at, like, next November for for Marvel Stadium. And that's probably going to cost like 1.5 to 2 mil to have that, to have the speakers, to have the services um, to advertise and market. But I'm, I'm confident that I can raise that money yeah i don't like confidence i like it. i know i'm gonna make that happen. yeah i know i'm gonna make the tour happen i've um renee brown's manager has said no but i know <laughs> i'm gonna make that happen um yeah man i just thought i don't fear no i don't fear being told no i mm-hmm. believe that if if I believe in it enough, if I have enough confidence, that I can turn a no into a yes no matter what.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Really is amazing. Just to think that, that is, that's is—that's the man now. That's that's the man, whereas the boy would never fall like that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's strange for me sometimes to think about it. Yeah, it's
0: strange. It's really powerful, uh, and I'm like when we had the conversation before, and I you know, discussed about how I felt at that current present time. I felt godlike, and it was like to go from feeling so powerless to then to to go. Do you know what? Actually, if I can be like that, I can be. I can lack so much power. I can lack so much worth. The polar opposite of that, I have to be able to be that individual as well, yeah. and it's what describes is, is the, you know, the, the, the higher self. You know, you've got that lower form of the self. You've got the higher the higher self. And I think everyone, well, not everyone does, but people have to go through that phase of looking at all their shit, mm-hmm. everything that's happened in their life, all those fears, anything that's just kind of grabbed hold of your bollocks in some way and gone, do you know what? I'm going to keep you like a boy. I'm going to keep you. And and to then have that and free and, and unleash that is 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 I've gone through the process, probably nowhere near to the extent of you. You're, you're, and, but it's just the stories that we tell ourselves yeah, at the end exactly. of the day. Um, but to see that is is incredible. And I see you taking action all the time now. That you're over at the east coast quite a bit as well. You've, you go over there. You've been over there for a few few gigs, haven't you? Yeah. So you've been over to Brisbane, uh, seen you over there. What yeah. what sort of stuff is it? Is it the? Are you doing um, talks and stuff over there? Is that what you've been doing?
1: So and this is going back to like a confidence man. I read a book called fake money by Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. And it's talking about investment in real estate specifically, uh, or the rich dad, poor dad. So of course it's mm. going to be real estate. But yep. One of the main messages I took away from it is he has this mantra, how can I achieve what I want to achieve using other people's money? And so I did that. I tested that with the podcast mm-hmm. and, Put a message out there, hey, like I'm looking for a videographer, and then we worked out this contract where I essentially paid them very little for a, a good service, mm-hmm. um, but in turn I forced myself to go out and find sponsorship to cover those costs. Then took that a step further and created the FIFO Mental Health Summit. Um, I just invite FIFO executives and health and safety and HR executives, put them in a room, and I give them update on mental health. So the current status of mental health and give them some uh, free education. Like, whereas usually those workshops would cost about $3,400 for us to present that. We do it for free, um, and then I force myself to go out and get sponsors to cover the costs of everything because I put my, my money into it first. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of just where that's come from, man, is that mantra, how do I achieve what I want to achieve with other people's money? And that's gonna be the same thing with Marvel Stadium, with the Speakers Tour, with, um, filling RS area mm. and just using that but essentially FIFO Summit come out of that and that is just like educating the executives the HR teams the health and safety because mm. they are management because ultimately they decide what happens with their workforce Yeah, and if they're a little bit more aware as to why they're making the decisions that they're making then maybe they'll have a little bit more empathy for the people that work for them on the ground who mm. Um, actually help
0: them generate that revenue. I absolutely love the, the abundance in that mindset to go, do you know what, well, you, you, number one, let's go back to that 1.x X million that you're on about. Number two, to then say that you you didn't have anything, but you, you said, right, I can afford to pay a videographer for this, but then I need to go out and do the work to find some more resources. To be able to have that abundant mind, abundance mindset incredible because most people, including myself, will go, I've only got X amount of money. I can't do anything that's going to cost me more because people don't think to use other resources. Um, I want to just touch a little bit on about your how you structure your day. So, obviously, you've gone through uh, you know, severe mental health issues yourself. Um, life was was chaotic. Um, but we, earlier on, we had a little chat before we we're doing this about your, you know, your, your, your frozen ice fridge that you've made, and you have a have a morning routine. Yep. How about how do you go about your day, st- structuring your day now, and how much does that help with your with your mindset? So at
1: the moment, man, I will wake up. If I've got my daughter, then I'll wake up and go for a walk. But usually, I will wake up, um, brush my teeth. I'll go get in the ice bath, which is just an old chest freezer that I've um, sealed inside and filled it up with water. (laughs) So I'll get in that ice bath for three minutes and do that for three minutes. I'll be focusing on breathing, so I'll start with like deep belly breathing in the mouth. um, Just helping my body shift from, holy fuck, it's cold, we shouldn't be in here. This isn't our natural environment get out get out to um calming down a little bit getting back into that rest and digest and then i'll go from mouth breathing to uh nasal breathing and that nasal breathing that will be like three seconds in three seconds out or something until i get to a point where i can do box breathing three in three hold three out three hold and then eventually so i can get to a point where i can do seven eleven breathing um that's been a really powerful way for me to start the day. Mm-hmm. It's been a really powerful way for me to snap out of any sort of foul mood or foul feeling. Um, straight from the ice bath, I'll get out, get on the rebounder, jump for two minutes, and then that's just primarily to get warm, like fire up the limb system. Yep. Um, and then I'll do like five minutes of just non-stop exercise, bodyweight exercise, be warm from that, and I'll just go straight into... Uh, meditation, 10-minute meditation, a gratitude journal, and then affirmations. And my affirmation at the moment is, thanks to Hal Elrod in his Miracle Solution book, Okay. my affirmation is, I'm committed to maintaining unwavering faith that I will make mental health mainstream. I will put forth extraordinary effort until I do, no matter what, there is no other option. And I'll vis- visualize myself standing in Marvel Stadium, um, all the men around, and essentially what, I saying, what I'm saying to myself in my head while I'm visualizing that is I'm on stage and I'm saying, look around, like look around at all your brothers in the stadium. There's 50,000 of you here today. Every man in the stadium is here to better himself, for his partner, mm-hmm. for his kids, for his family, for his colleagues, for everyone that he comes into contact with. When you leave here today, you will never be the same again. 50,000 of you out in the world making an impact that is what we're here to do today and i feel that and i can feel that now i'm getting
0: goosebumps (laughs) my next question was about that every time you do that how does that make you feel
1: Uh, like i usually i cry bro. every morning when i visualize that because i'm so proud of myself yeah fulfilling my whole yeah (laughs) yeah
0: man that is incredible Like that just it takes you back to that how vision inspires you to take action like it's the magnet, it's what's pulling you forward. You knowing that you have that capacity to be able to do that and the confidence to be able to do that and have the vision of what exactly what you want with that clarity, you can see that's just that's just pulling you into taking action every single day to make it happen. And that's incredible, man.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, and like obviously, you know, like Joe work, he's yeah. talking about mixing that emotion with, yeah. with the visualization because over time your body can't discern or differentiate between what's actually happened and what mm. you visualise, especially if you're using emotion um, with the words mm. that you're speaking you know, or what you're thinking. So that's that's how I start my day. That usually takes me about half an hour.
0: And that's not long. Right. If you think about the amount of people that say, I haven't got time to do all this, like 30 minutes to do all that and then to walk out feeling like you feel, that 30 minutes is so worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that sets my day up, man, because obviously the way you start the day fucking like, like impacts how you show up it yeah. impacts how you interact with yourself most importantly but with the world as well and so if you're starting the day in a more mindful way you're you're using that affirmation their visualization to become confident and to feel confident and to feel like you can achieve what you want to achieve um man you're just going to show up as a different
0: sort mm. of human being yeah I mean, I first noticed that when uh, I did Deepak Chakra's uh, 30-day meditation on gratitude probably about a year ago, and I did it every single morning, and then I just noticed that I was just more thankful for everything that people were doing for me. I was more thankful for the lessons that were coming to me, and I just found more things to be grateful for. And I remember at like twenty day 26, 27, turning around to the to my friend, comrade who told me to you know, just get onto it, and we group of us did it together i was like this has been the biggest mindset change i've ever had and to think that all it is is just sitting there listening to some guy talk you through a process of just discovering things to be thankful for in your life for 20 minutes a day to then go out and change your whole perspective on the world
1: yeah it's crazy man and i I love obviously You love science, you love Mm -hmm. the research, and I love the fact that you can explain it to someone who's, I guess, critical Mm. of gratitude. Oh, that's woo-woo. It's like, no, bro. Like, you're literally creating neural pathways. Mm. Yeah. Training your brain, essentially, to find the
0: good in every situation. Who doesn't want that? That's it. You're literally opening, opening up a whole new internal eye and that's what you know. we call the, the third eye right in the center it, it's it's that reticular activating system it's, it's what allows us to focus on things that we don't see before and if you've never experienced gratitude before and you spend 30 days experiencing it for 20 minutes in the morning you're going to find it comes up absolutely everywhere <laughs>
1: well, i think gratitude is like especially if you experience not experience if you practice mm. gratitude every day it's sort of like a getting a degree in uh, engineering essentially mm. engineering for life because yeah. engineers are a solution yeah. they always find the positive and the solution in whatever it is that they're looking at
0: or going mm. through I love that analogy that's great just made it up <laughs> <laughs> and you creative genius right there mate <laughs> um okay cool so man it's been really awesome to have you here like we've had a real obviously deep chat you've gone through your experience of love that you've been able to share that you've obviously healed a lot from it to be able to do that without uh trembling and bawling in your eyes and, and 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 you know resurfacing that emotion that you used to feel now you can see it as as you essentially you're being the father of your own younger individual looking at it as, as a son sort of thing and saying I now look at you with empathy and love and compassion, and that's who I am, that's who you are. I, but now I can choose to who I want to, to become. And you're taking all the practice to do what you need to do, and you're taking the action towards going through it. So, man, I really appreciate that. It really inspires me, and I hope it inspires other people out there to do exactly the same as what you've done. Thanks, so. man. Um, to anyone
1: out there, especially my brothers going through anger, uh, average to small penis, if you've got limiting beliefs around that, I'm more than happy to talk about that. That's something I'm delving into. Any woman out there who's having trouble in relationships, any human being in general that has any issues with mental health, just feel free to message me. Like I said, DM me. I'll always message back, but it will be with a voice message. Um, Just into that shit. Love it. Would love to help. And um, even if it's just referring you on to someone who I trust, who I know can help you, um, so many amazing, beautiful health professionals um, in Perth that I have deep connections with. So, I'm more than happy to help. And thank you for giving me this opportunity
0: too. No worries. I want I want to just back that up because well, the first time I actually met you face to face was at the uh, Chevron Wellness Fair, and you were walking around with quite high energy. Oh, and I, I yeah, and I expected when I walked up to you, I expected you to to say a lot to talk about yourself a lot and to um, this is my this is my my judgment to then because of because of the energy you had but when I spoke and told you my story you just listened you just sat there you just stood there and just listened and that instantly made me think this guy's real because I think I was testing you to see whether you were real oh, that's good. and I was testing you and and you were you listened and then you know I booked you a few times to come on to your podcast. You invited me on. We had a great chat. And the exact same, the same energy was there. You were there just to listen to my story, and that almost felt like you, 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 you you've, you've labeled you are a father. You are, and I can, I can, I can just that's, that's how I can describe it. Okay, and thanks, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show. So uh, we'll just go again. If anyone can, how they can get in contact with you, uh, where they should be listening to your content. Um, and if anyone wants to do some business with you, or even to offer some uh, some support,
1: cool. Uh, so you can get me on most social platforms either Lachlan Samuel, L A C H L A N Samuel, or Open Up Group. And um, if you want, add me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. Otherwise, uh, email me Lachlan at OpenUpGroup.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming on, and thank you to all the listeners that do listen to these podcasts. I uh, really appreciate you all.